podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, this is it. This is the last installment of the Supernatural series. Uh, that doesn't, yeah, oh, you know, week 937. Um, that doesn't mean that from here on out we're only going to be talking about natural things. Certainly not. Um, but this has been a series where we've discussed uh, the Holy Spirit in particular and, and what His work is. And we talked about how, how should we think about miracles and about healing and, and, and what is it that God has, has done for us in Jesus that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, this I- Isaiah's vision of what Messiah would do was the one who would make everything right with the world again, who would set it all back together. So when Isaiah said, by his stripes we are healed, he, he wasn't just thinking about headaches and coughs and colds. He was thinking about, he was thinking about the man who would come, who would, who would end all war. There are other passages in Isaiah's uh, prophetic vision where he talks about this moment coming where there would be no more wars, where there would be peace, where even uh, there would, uh, humanity and animals would be able to live in harmony and in peace with one another. The full vision of Messiah is something that Jesus says, look, by my arrival, by my coming to earth, I've begun it. I've inaugurated the arrival of the kingdom, but it's culminating, and it will culminate on the day that Christ returns. And so can we say that in Jesus' death and resurrection that he has paid for the restoration of all things? Absolutely. Can we say that the fullness of it plays out here and now? No. But what we can say is that it has come, it's begun, it's, it, it continues in us. But there is this day coming when a new heaven and a new earth will be made and, it, and heaven and earth join as one. And all of a sudden, everything that God came to set right in Jesus becomes set right. That there will be a day where there's no more injustice, the sickness that we see in the world and the sense of abuse and, 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 and injustice and, and, and the, the way that people are violated, all of that will one day end. Jesus' life and death and resurrection speaks of all of that. And so I think part of the reason we've had this series is because it's possible for us just to have thought about the cross as a personal thing and it's me and Jesus and I got my sins forgiven and thank God and I got my sins forgiven and my passport stamped for heaven and one day I'm just going to fly away and get there. That's not at all the message. The message of the kingdom is that God means to remake everything and he starts with us. When Paul wrote, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, he's saying, look, one day the whole thing will be a new creation, but guess what? New creation starts in you now. The moment you accept Christ and his kingdom, you become new creation. There's something powerful about that. But it also means then that the work of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus told his disciples to wait for, that the work of the Holy Spirit now in us enables us to continue the work of this kingdom coming on earth. So every time we find a way to love the unlovely in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what you're doing? You're bringing the kingdom. 
Every time you speak or act to do something that rescues an orphan, we have some good friends that just moved to Cambodia to work with young women who have been rescued out of the sex slave industry. What they are doing there by the power of the Holy Spirit is bringing the kingdom. They are living in such a way that anticipates the day when all of that is no more, when every tear is wiped away. And it was in that context that we talked about spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts is not this, you know, sort of privatized, you know, let me see what I can do and let me see what you can do and, you know, let, let's sort of discover our gifts together and maybe, you know, hey, what strength do you have? It's sort of a, a spiritual strength finders or a what color is your parachute for the church kind of thing, you know, one of those business books applied to Christianity. No, it's not that at all. Instead, the spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit at work in the church to continue Christ's work. It makes sense, then, that the church is called Messiah's body, the body of Christ. The Messiah's work continues through us. The Messiah's work of rescuing and recreating all things continues through us. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've talked specifically about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And we've talked about, okay, okay, so, so what, how exactly does this play out and, and how does he speak to us? And last week, we did this whole thing about how God speaks to us through the scriptures. And by the way, I, just this afternoon, I added uh, on my uh, blog, not a plug for my blog, but kind of, but I added on my blog this afternoon the, uh, the three parts, the three notes, the three sections of the Bible study thing that we talked about last week. The observation, interpretation, application, and if you're like, you couldn't write fast enough, all the questions and things that go along with each phase, we, I've got it all posted on there so you can check it out if you'd like. But tonight, to culminate this whole series, we're going to talk about this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Uh, what, what does that mean? Is there such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There are a few things that are in all four Gospels, the death the resurrection of Jesus is in all four Gospels. Not even the birth is in all four Gospels. Mark was, seems to be in more of a hurry. He gets us to the cross rather quickly. John is more poetic. Doesn't specifically narrate, you know, Advent like Matthew and Luke do. But there's a few things that are in all four Gospels. Certainly the death and resurrection, but also this moment when Jesus is being baptized in water by John. And there's this moment before that happens where John, and I will read it out of Matthew's Gospels. I won't read it out of uh, Mark and Luke and John, although it's there. This is almost the same exact scene. Uh, we're almost, uh, in fact, similar words. Um, but we'll read it out of Matthew's Gospel. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so maybe a helpful way to think about it is water baptism or John's baptism has to do with repentance. It has to do with turning away from an old way of living and turning back toward God. And John's, ba John's baptism, you, you'll see it in the passage that we'll read, John's baptism for the Jews meant a kind of repentance but not even the, the, the full strength that later on water baptism would take on because they, could do, they did water baptism again but they did it after the cross and they did it after the resurrection and it made that idea of, of, a, of a water baptism that, that, that spoke of repentance, it made that even more powerful. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to do with empowerment for new life. 
One has to do with saying, I'm turning away, the old is gone, I'm, you rise up out of the waters of baptism and you say, okay, I am a new person. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaks of this empowerment, the thing that enables us to actually live it out. The question, of course, that comes to mind, and if you've been around different churches for any length of time, you've encountered this question, maybe not in these exact words, but at least in this concept, is receiving the Holy Spirit different than being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are we playing with words here? I mean, is there a difference? Uh, Do we we receive the Holy Spirit at conversion? And and if so, then is that different than being baptized in the Holy Spirit? How do we sort this out? An interesting thing is is there's there's some pretty distinct camps in the church about this. And and I want to say to you tonight, the the, the part of this that that falls within creed, the creed that we just confessed a few moments earlier uh, in the service tonight, is this belief that the Holy Spirit is... God, a member of the Trinity, the giver of life, the one who speaks to us, the one who is at work in us. That's center. What we're going to talk about tonight, there are some different views on it. And is it okay that some people have some disagreement with where they land on what this exactly means? Yes, it's okay. And and part of what I'll show you tonight is there's room for saying it could be all in one or it could be very closely connected. It could be very well spaced out. It seems like there's maybe. And so from here on out in this talk, I'm going to try to say phrases like, look, it seems like this is a good explanation for this. And then we'll come back at the very end to something that can unite us all again. All right? So stay with me, okay? The interesting thing is among the, multiple, among the two camps in, in the church, there is one camp that says a, a, a pretty extreme thing and another that you would never, you, they seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum. But the, the interesting thing is they would answer to that question, is receiving the Holy Spirit the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They would both answer the same thing. And they would, they, essentially their answer would be yes, it's one and the same. But you have one group, maybe, maybe one that leans more towards this Pentecostal side or, or maybe a designation of that. And they would say, look, 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 it's the same thing and therefore, some people have said this, therefore if you don't have this specific evidence of the Holy Spirit, i.e. speaking in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved. And they come to that conclusion, they do that sort of regression of logic because they believe that receiving the Holy Spirit is the same as a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? But on the other hand, you have this other extreme camp who actually has that same premise but arrives in a totally different place. They say, well, okay, look, because receiving the Holy Spirit is, different than, is the same thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then as soon as you get saved, you already have the Holy Spirit. So sit back and enjoy the flight. It's going to be great. There's nothing else that needs to happen here. It's funny. I just said sit back and enjoy the flight. And I look at Bruce over here who's an American Airlines pilot, you know. Sub, I don't know, subliminal messages Bruce is sending me. And, then, and it's, but yet both of them have the same premise that because it's one and the same, the one says, is pushes to the far end and says, look, if, you don't, if you're not speaking in tongues, I'm not sure you're even saved. Now on the other side, you have people that say, well, well, look, look. There's nothing more to get. You've got all there is to get, so just chill out. Relax. I think there's reason to investigate this a little bit. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 through 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us 
and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is what we were just talking about at the beginning of this talk, right? That what's coming is better than what is. And what, what's the thing that, de- that is the deposit for it right now? It's the Holy Spirit. So when you come to conversion in Christ, when you come to, this, to the place of decision and you say, yes, Jesus, I surrender. You're the Lord of my... What happens inside of you? The Holy Spirit is given to you. We believe at New Life, we believe that that is the power of conversion, that it's not just this thing of saying, hey, you're forgiven, okay, you've got forgiveness, God forgives you, now good luck, go try harder again on your own. No, no, we believe that at conversion what happens is, yes, you're forgiven, but you also now receive the Spirit of God inside of you that enables you to live this out. So we would say you receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. We believe that. But here's something that's interesting. Here's a couple of of instances that make me think there might be something about engaging that. The disciples received the Holy Spirit and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. John 20, verse 19. This is not talked about very much, but this happened right after the resurrection. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together and the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. It's a fine thing to say after scaring them. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So here's this moment post-resurrection where Jesus goes, receive the Holy Spirit, and they receive Him. But it's curious then that in Acts 1, verse 4, Luke writes this. On one occasion while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that there were kind of two moments for these disciples. The one where Jesus says, post-resurrection, and some people say, well, this seems like a born-again moment. This seems like a moment where they are made new, where the Holy Spirit comes inside of them. And then they are told, but wait, because there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit coming that's, that's going to give you the power to live as my witnesses. Another reason why the baptism of the Holy Spirit seems to be something additional to conversion. Think, look at this passage in Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Water. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Are we to suppose that prior to this, even though they'd been baptized in the name of Jesus and they believed in Jesus, are we to suppose that all the way between that point and the point when Peter and John arrived, that the, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in, inside them or the Spirit of Christ somehow making them new, being born again? It seems from the rest of what the New Testament describes about conversion that we can't really conclude that. So this seems to be something uh, additional maybe. 
Acts 10, 44 and 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. He's still preaching, and something begins to happen. Ruined the podcast that week. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Kind of did it out of order here. You know, when Peter stood up in Acts 2, he said, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Here, you know, I, want, I don't know if Peter was an order guy or not, but it, this certainly would have fixed it if he was. Because it was out of order. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. And the last story here is in Acts 19, verse 1 through 7. While Apollos, Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, Well, we haven't even heard of that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul asked them, What baptism did you receive? Interesting choice of words there, the baptism moment. And they said, well, John's baptism, they're kind of even a step back. They're not even been baptized in the name of Jesus, as in conversion, accepted Christ as Lord. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but remember, John's baptism was kind of a Jewish thing. And he said, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, and that is Jesus. And so on hearing this, they were baptized now in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's some disciples in, in Ephesus that were seeking. They did the Jewish baptism of repentance that John had talked about, but they didn't know that, that there was Jesus. And once they heard about Jesus, they got water baptized again, you know. It's kind of like some of you, maybe you, you were baptized as a kid before you really understood Jesus. And then later in life you understood, oh, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior. I think I'm going to be water baptized again. That's not a bad idea. Now that you know it. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. So, well, this, that is interesting. Certainly we're not going to make a formula out of it and say, aha, you see, there's always these three separate moments, because there are also the moment... Like at Pentecost in Acts 2, when it all happens very quickly, very closely connected together. So you might say, well, well then what's the point of, 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 of splitting hairs about all of this? I mean, are we just, you know, what's the deal here? I mean, baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, I mean, does it really matter as long as we have the Holy Spirit within us? I think maybe a way to think of it is, what, what I'm not suggesting tonight is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives you something you didn't already have. I'm not saying to you that, well, at conversion, you get about 93.4% of God, and then you can make up the other 6.6% when you have the baptism of the... I, I'm not saying that. And I really don't believe that that's true. God is not a substance that you can have X amount of leaders of, and then you need the other leaders made up. You know, he, it doesn't work that way. And so this, and I, and I think maybe this is what's made, turned off of some people is there's some people in the body of Christ who talk about the Holy Spirit as if it is a measurable uh, quantity. So, oh, well, I, I just want more of the Holy Spirit. You have him. So, well, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I just feel like I need to go to another conference because I just need more of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. I know, but I just feel like if I just had that one worship CD or if I just listened to that one preach, then I would just have more of the Holy Spirit. If he just prayed for me, I would have more. You have the Holy Spirit. 
And I, I don't believe for a moment that any of this has to do with increments or quantities. In fact, let me say it this way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about getting something you don't have. It's about unleashing the power of God already at work in you. It's not about getting something you don't have. Say, well, let's say I got saved and I'm only one-third saved because I didn't, you know, it's like, you, you know what? The moment that you come to Christ, if you've really understood what the gospel presentation was, if, you really, if it really connected, if it really made sense, then you would at that moment receive the Holy Spirit and, and, and you could after that be water baptized and all this stuff, but all of those things are outworkings. I suppose that because we are complex as human beings and everybody's story is a little bit different, I suppose it is possible that you could understand more about what it means to have come to Christ than you did when you said the prayer and came down and did the altar call thing. That, sure, that's true. But what's happening in that moment is not that you're getting more of God. It's just that you started to learn to pay more attention to Him. What's happening in that moment is not that all of a sudden what was vacant in your heart is now filled up. What's, what's happening now is something is beginning to click and you're seeing it and now it's coming out of you. I, I um, brought a can of root beer tonight, uh, particularly because I don't like root beer. And uh, it's not at all my favorite drink. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if we were to take the example of the disciples, it seems to be an infilling for an outflowing. It seems like if we're talking about conversion and receiving the Holy Spirit, it's like, okay, we've got that the moment that we said yes and we surrendered to Jesus. But what is this baptism, that that word that, that has us thinking about immersion and has us thinking about being immersed and surrounded and overflowing. What, what, what is that? When Jesus told them to wait, he told them to wait so that they would receive this so that what? So that they could be his witnesses. So that they could live out this life. And that word for witness is so closely connected to the word for martyr. It was almost this foreshadowing thing. Wait till you receive the power to testify to what you've seen and heard, even to the point of giving your life for that testimony. What could give them that kind of power? The overflowing of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about spiritual things, all analogies are pretty weak. And everything we could ever conjure up and think about and sort of say, well, it's, maybe it's like this and maybe it's like that. It's all just kind of falls short. It's all just weak. You've seen this before. But I wonder if it's a bit like this, where you've come to Christ and you've received the Holy Spirit and you're full as this root beer can is full of soda. And you're just full. You got him. He's in you. But you've never had this moment where you said, okay, since you're in me and since you're at work inside of me, then would you let it all out? Would you let it out? Would you let it flow to the overflowing fullness? And I think... 
See, I was prepared. I brought a towel. I think that that maybe is what these early disciples experienced. Yes, he was in them. But maybe it's this baptism of the Holy Spirit moment where they say, okay, there's something, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. Could we let him fill us to overflowing? Could we let him fill us to the point that we're not afraid if we stand before a Roman court? Could we let him fill us to the point that we are encouraging one another even though we might risk being caught? Paul says to the Ephesians, he says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine. And he's not, he, it's not particularly a passage to comment on drunkenness. There's other passages where he really addresses that. This is, this is used to kind of give us uh, what's called an antithetic parallelism. It's using opposite things to illustrate the point. And he says, look, don't get drunk with wine and think about the way that the person who's drunk is pretty useless to himself. And to those around him. If you've been around people who are like that, you know that somebody who's drunk is useless to themselves. They're only making a fool of themselves. And they're useless to those around them. They can't help anybody. And Paul is saying, let me, let me th- contrast that with the exact opposite. But instead of that, be filled with the Spirit so that you can speak to one another. Do you see this? Paul's kind of saying, look, just like drunkenness in wine ruins you and the people you're around, being filled with the Holy Spirit encourages you and the people that you're around. You see this contrast? It's a poetic device that Paul is using, the use of opposites to make this point. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says in there, be filled, the construct of that phrase is actually go on being filled. Go on being filled. And this is where I think we can all find the common ground because if you, whether or not you believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit needs to be this additional one-time thing, I think there is a moment where it kind of kick-starts and starts overflowing in us. I do believe that. But even if you don't, could I ask you tonight, when was the last time that you let the Holy Spirit fill you to overflowing? Because you may may be one of those persons who says, oh yeah, I totally believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you tell me, you know, when I was 13, I was at youth camp and this, I went up to this altar call and they prayed for me and I had this, you know, you start telling this awesome testimony. And I said, well, how long ago was that? Oh, well, that was, you know, 35 years ago, but I was filled with the Holy Spirit then. What about now? What about now? Because the point of all this is not to say, okay, thanks God for the Holy Spirit, that's awesome, now on with my to-do list for the day. Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, said, look, are you so foolish that what you began by faith you think you can now finish in the flesh? In another, in a, we, we could even apply that same sort of mentality. We could say to ourselves, okay, look, did you think that, okay, good, you had the woohoo experience and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a nice goosebump moment. Good for you. But, but did it change the way? Did you let it change the rest of your life? Did you let the infilling and the outflowing of the Holy Spirit affect the way that you talk to your spouse or your kids? Did you let it affect the way that you live? Did you let it work itself out of you? 
Because the point is not, oh, have you received baptism in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, check. Are you in a small group? Check. <laughs> you know? All good things, right? But not things that we're supposed to say, yeah, yeah, got it. But the kinds of things we say, yes, and I still am living in community. Yes, I have, and I'm still being filled in the Holy Spirit. I am going on in my being filled with the Holy Spirit. What if we really believed this? What if we caught hold of that really what has been offered to you is the chance to live a Spirit-empowered life? Paul writing to the Romans said in Romans 8, you have you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And here's this amazing sentence. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead also lives in you. We're in Easter season. One week from tonight, we're going to be talking, we're going to be re- reliving the resurrection. If you've been to the thorn, you've, you've already experienced it. If you haven't been to the thorn, go this week. I went a couple times last week, and, and as much as I've seen it, it's, it's so moved me. And there's something about realizing, wow, Jesus the conqueror rose from the dead. And sometimes we sort of disconnect that from us and think, wow, that was cool. But the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Why? So you can do party tricks? No. Why? So you can, you know, kind of wave your hand and manipulate things? No, 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 no. So that you can live out the spirit-empowered life. So that you can live out the life that God intended for you, which is this, that you and I look like Jesus. So, Glenn, I, I, look, this whole, you know, I've been saved now for two years or six months or three years, whatever, whatever the length of time is. And you say, well, look, I, I just... You know, it's really great, but I just, I don't know, man. I'm still sort of trapped in the similar positions, and I'm still kind of, you know. It's like, yeah, you know what? It is a journey, and everybody's process is going to be different depending on the stories. If you've come out of uh, uh, situations of abuse, your journey is going to be a bit different than someone who hasn't. And so when I, I don't want you to get caught up with gauging yourself by results and, well, I broke this habit. And you listen to someone who says, well, I got saved and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then all of these habits just stopped. Wonderful. But maybe your journey will require more time. But regardless of the time that it takes, we all have the Holy Spirit. And the key to us getting to where we're supposed to go is ultimately the Holy Spirit. 
That the power that's working in me and the power that's working in you, the reason why Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, says, I'm confident of this, that he who began the work in you will complete it on the day that Christ Jesus appears. I can say to you, I'm confident of this, whether you seem to be just kind of two steps forward in your recovery process, or whether you're like ten steps ahead from where you used to be before you were saved. It doesn't really matter. I'm confident that if you let him the spirit of the risen Christ is at work in you. And he is going to make you like him on the day that Christ Jesus appears. I want to encourage you tonight, wherever you are in this journey, you may say, hey, look, I, um, I, 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 I've heard of Jesus and I've heard of forgiveness and I've got that part. But nobody ever told me that the Holy Spirit is already in me and that if I ask him, if I, if I say, Spirit of God, come, come on, overflow in me. Nobody ever told me that if I said yes to him, that he would begin to empower my living. And maybe that's what we're talking about tonight. Not getting something you don't have, but unleashing the power of God that's already at work in you. Would you stand? We have a few moments tonight. We ended a bit earlier than normal so that we can take a moment and respond to this. You may have noticed when I read those stories out of Acts, in some of those occasions, you know, one of those occasions, Paul lays hands on them and they, you know, they, they, re they receive it, you know. But in other moments, it's just something stirs up in them supernaturally. If you are saying tonight, look, I want to be filled again to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And truthfully, I, you know where I stand on this. I think all of us are saying that. Then would you kind of just do this? You know, just kind of a physical posture of saying, man, I'm open. I'm just a root beer can. <laughs> but I've got the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of me. No, I can't try to make myself a better person. And no, I can't selflessly, sacrificially love people over and over again. Every, I, I can't do that on my own. But the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, is at work in you. God, we want Spirit-empowered lives. God, we want to be filled and daily be filled and be filled over and over again and be filled tonight and be filled tomorrow and be filled each day till we're overflowing all the time with you, God. God, forgive me for the moments that I try to say, okay, hang on, God, I'll take this back now. Forgive me for the times when I try to finish it in my own flesh. But God, we depend on you. All of us tonight, we're confessing that we depend on you. God, if there's some of us that have never said, okay, Holy Spirit, come on, do it, then let tonight be the first time. Let tonight be the first time where we say it. Okay, Holy Spirit, come on, have your way. Overflow. Fill me up again. And God, if this is the thousandth time, then still, you say that even while our outward body perishes, our inward person is renewed. Come on, renew. Empower us to be your witnesses this week. 
Empower us with, with love, to love those around us. Empower us to serve those around us. Empower us to be able to speak of you in our workplaces, in our, in our schools, on our campuses. Empower us to continue the work of Christ. Overflow. God, bring us every morning to the place where we say, God, I cannot, but you can. Holy Spirit, let us all be so full of you that it spills out into encouragement to one another. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans, struggling to figure this out. Thank you that you fill and fill and fill 